This is Ergasia Digest, a weekly roundup of news from the world of faith, work, economics and theology, arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. Hello and welcome to Ergasia Digest number one a weekly roundup of news from the world of work, faith, theology and economics. My name is Brendan Byrne and I have the pleasure of being your host. Ergasia Digest is an initiative of the Ergasia podcast. Its purpose will be to supplement the regular episodes of Ergasia by drawing listeners' attention to news from around the world concerning matters related to work and economics and posing questions that tie these news items to considerations of faith and theology. It will not necessarily be the purpose of Ergasia Digest to suggest or supply answers to the questions which then arise, merely to provide food for thought for listeners' own reflection. But you may be wondering, why Ergasia Digest? Well, in part the episodes of Ergasia Digest are intended to be shorter and pithier than the longer, essay-like form which the regular episodes of Ergasia tend to take. Their purpose is to keep listeners primed so that they continue thinking about issues of work, faith, theology and economics in between the in-depth analysis provided by regular episodes of Ergasia. More to the point, however, Those of you who follow Ergasia on its Twitter and Facebook pages will know that from time to time I post news items and pose questions about how a Christian theology of work would respond to the issues implicit in the news item. From this practice, the idea for Ergasia Digest gradually emerged. Instead of putting up occasional posts, which at least some of my audience may not see, How about concentrating them into a form that makes them available through the podcast itself? Those wishing to access the original articles can still do so via links on the website. Finally, it has occurred to me, and this has been reinforced by listener feedback, that the longer form nature of the regular episodes of Ergasia can on occasion make the subject matter appear abstract or without a solid foundation in the lived reality of ordinary human life. By linking news items with theological questions, I hope to at least demonstrate that the project of developing a theology of work is not an ivory tower process, but one that is embedded in a real concern for human lives as they are lived out in the world, and as the dignity which Christian theology declares is an inalienable feature of the human person, is impacted by our construction of work and economics. But now, having made my explanations and excuses, let's get on with Ergasia Digest number one. The Sydney Morning Herald reports that Australian tax office data shows that Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation paid no tax in the 2016 financial year 
despite a recorded income of $2.9 billion. Its rival, the Fairfax Media Group, paid $16 million in tax on an assessable income of $89 million, part of an overall income of $1.48 billion. This represents an effective tax rate of 18% for Fairfax and 0% for News Corporation. The legislated corporate tax rate is 30%. The report notes that companies related to News Corporation, such as Foxtel Holdings, REA Group and NewsPay TV Financing, did pay tax on assessable income at rates varying between 30 and 27%. The report likewise notes tax office information to the effect that there are often legitimate reasons why companies pay less than the statutory rate of 30%. Still in Australia and the Conversation reports that the arrival of multinational retailer Amazon may signal the emergence of worrying trends for industrial relations practice in this country. This is because Amazon will bring with it practices it has developed in less regulated industrial relations environments like the US and the UK. These include zero-hours contracts in which employees are not guaranteed minimum hours of work, as well as reportedly making wearers wear GPS devices so that their whereabouts can be tracked at all times. Amazon is also noted for its hostility to unions and workers collectively organising, as well as its adoption of automated workplace platforms that minimise the number of people required to work within its work sites. If union busting and automation are seen by Amazon's competitors as the pathway toward a competitive edge in the Australian marketplace, the very arrival of the retailing behemoth may signal the widespread adoption of such practices in this country. Moving overseas and The Guardian reports that nearly one million British workers in the so-called gig economy may be losing out on more than £22,000 in superannuation after wrongly being labelled self-employed. The so-called gig economy has emerged in recent years as companies like Uber and Deliveroo construct their business models so that the people actually delivering the services they provide are classified as self-employed or as independent contractors. This business model enables these firms to avoid paying for or providing a whole host of benefits that accrue to conventional employees, among these being superannuation. However, a series of recent high-profile cases in the UK has demonstrated that while workers in the gig economy might be conveniently classified as self-employed, they are in fact subject to the kind of supervision and oversight typical of the conventional employment relationship, meaning that they ought to be receiving the benefits implied by such a relationship. However, analysis by the insurance firm Zurich on behalf of the Pensions Policy Institute indicates that classification of gig workers as self-employed denies them access to superannuation entitlements running into the tens of thousands of pounds. These events have caused some British MPs to accuse employers in the gig economy of taking advantage of loopholes in industrial law to exploit workers.
while the government of British Prime Minister Theresa May has promised a review of the sector to bring protections for gig workers into line with other employees. Meanwhile, The Guardian also reports that the British government has published a list of 260 employers who have underpaid over 16,000 British workers to the tune of £1.7 million. The list published by the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy identifies the worst offender as the Sports Direct retail chain, which, with its employment agencies Best Connection and Transline, were responsible for underpayments totalling almost £1 million. However, the worst sector for underpayment was the hospitality industry, where a series of bars, clubs and restaurants, including the exclusive Bedruthen and Ramside Estates luxury chains, were responsible for widespread underpayment of wages. Finally, in Japan, the Nikkei Asian Review reports that Japanese taxation authorities are investigating ways of tightening scrutiny on the domestic and foreign assets owned by its wealthier citizens. The review reports that the National Tax Agency has bolstered the resources of project teams looking into the attempts by wealthy citizens to hide assets or use international transactions to avoid taxation. First established in 2014 in the cities of Tokyo, Osaka and Nagoya, and subsequently expanded to include the whole of Japan and outlying areas such as Okinawa, the project teams in the year ending June 2017 investigated over 4,000 cases and exposed over 44 billion yen in unreported income. This included one case in which the family of the founder of an electronics company used complex corporate structuring and transaction arrangements to avoid the payment of 150 million yen in gift taxes on convertible bonds that were gifted to family relatives. These new measures by the National Tax Office come as wealthy Japanese, like their counterparts in other countries, either adopt increasingly complex measures to hide their wealth from tax authorities or else seek to move their assets offshore and even transfer their residency to foreign tax havens in an effort to minimise or avoid paying tax. So there we have it, some of the news emerging from the world of work and economics this week. The question that occurs to me is, if Christian theology generally declares that every human person possesses an innate dignity arising from our creation in the likeness and image of God, and if a Christian theology of work declares that one of the purposes of work is to serve and enhance this dignity through the experience of work itself, What would a Christian theology of work say about any system of economic organisation that allows one section of society, whether individual, communal or corporate, to not only maximise the profits of their own or others' labour, but also minimise or avoid altogether any responsibility for contributing to the common good? What would it say about any system of law 
that enable social agents to lawfully minimise or eliminate their tax burden, while shifting a proportionally greater burden for maintaining social infrastructure, the traditional role of tax, on those who occupy relatively disadvantaged positions in the socio-economic hierarchy or within culturally and socially determined structures of power? What would a theology of work say about the relationship between human dignity and the prerogatives of self-interest? So as I leave you with those questions to ponder, we come to the end of Ergasia Digest number one. I hope to have the pleasure of your company in future. For more information, visit the website at www.ergasia.podbean.com. I'm your host, Brendan Byrne. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to Ergasia Digest, a weekly roundup of news from the world of faith, work, economics and theology. For more information, please go to www.ergasia.podbean.com. <laughs>